We're going to continue on in our study in Romans. And, you know, we've done a lot of heavy lifting early on through Romans. And we get to chapter 12 and kind of following. It's, it's, it's now it comes the outworking. Now we've laid the foundation and, 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 and that's good. And Paul does that. And sometimes that's hard to understand some of the doctrines that we went through. We talk about predestination and, you know, the Lord's calling and election and all those kinds of things. And they're good and they're helpful. But now to those of us that are called in Christ, here's what it looks like. Here's what that life demands. As Christians, here's what's expected of us. So be sure, and this is one way to be sure if you are a Christian, your life will reflect it. It's one thing to say you're a Christian, but our lives, you can even understand the the basics of the doctrine, of the teaching, but if you don't have that fruit, if you don't have what we're going to be talking about here in the next several weeks, really, really check out your relationship with the Lord. Okay, so it does that. It also serves to motivate us to be more and more encouraged cultivate what he's given to us because of what he because what he has given to us because of who we are we want to live for him okay that's what this is about as we go through these sections well our old testament reading is ezekiel and this is the watchman and i love this we love this because we have and especially elders but all of us as christians have an obligation to tell the truth to speak the truth of the gospel of jesus christ we need to be bold we need to be brave we need to be uh, willing to do that so we don't have that blood on our hands you know that we we let you know we did what we're supposed to do that's the watchman on the wall so we're going to be reading ezekiel 33 uh, 1 through 9 and then we'll go over to romans 12 9 through 13 this is the word of the lord the word of the lord came to me son of man speak to your people and say to them if i bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them, and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then, if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take the warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and he didn't take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken the warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not turn from, from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Amen and praise God. Now, to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. As we come to this section, it's uh, there's just so much here. Let me read the passage and then we'll get into it. Paul says this to the Christians. He says, let your love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Amen and praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for your word, Lord. And I just pray that you would be with all of us this morning. Keep our attention on you, Lord God. Keep us fixed on your word. Help us to be challenged to live and to rely on your spirit, to rely on you as we ought to, Lord God, in order to manifest what you have done in us and for us through Jesus Christ. Be with me as I bring your word. Help it to be clear. But Lord, to to honor and glorify you and to be helpful to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Yes, this is like, there's so much here and I don't, it's hard to even I, I approach it. Because Paul's like, this is like a machine gun approach for Paul. He's just hitting so many important topics. I don't want you to lose the relevance, but we can't spend too much time. We could take every single phrase here and verse here and spend an entire sermon on it. We're almost going to do that today. Not quite, but there's just so much that constitutes the Christian's demeanor, who we're called to be in Christ. So Paul's instructing and, and he's just giving us so much, but the Lord has given so much to us in Jesus Christ. And so this is what's expected of us. The, these, these are the very characteristics that mark out true followers of Jesus Christ. These are the characteristics that set us apart from those who don't love Jesus, who don't know Jesus, from your friends, from, from family members, from co-workers, from the unbelief. These are the kinds of things that, that are manifested in us by his spirit that show that we belong to him, right? And, and make a difference in that way. This lets our light shine. We don't do it for show. We don't, you know, drum these up on our own. This is from God. And this is how we're to live. These define us. Yeah. We need to cultivate these things. That's our part. We do have a part in this for sure. We don't just sit there passively. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm automatically going to, you know, show this kind of love and, you know, be this wonderful. No, 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 no. He does change our heart and our disposition, but it's up to you. It's up to you to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, to live this out, to bring this forth, to manifest these things, to nurture them. Again, there's a lot here, but all of it is so important. Like I said in the title, they're not add-ons. These are essential. Not just to show you're a Christian, but because you're a Christian. Do you understand? It's a big deal. It's a big deal because what he does, he puts his love in our hearts. And we love with the love of Christ. We're given a new heart. He takes the heart of stone out, and he gives us his heart, and we love with his heart. That's why he says, when he talks about love needs to be genuine. We're given his mind. We, we, we don't think the same way about things the way we used to before we're not Christians, right? I hope you think differently. I hope you're thinking his thoughts after him. I thought you, you have his worldview, a biblical worldview, because we have the mind of Christ now, because he gave that to us. We think differently. We think according to his word and his will and his way. We live in his strength. Before you're a Christian, you try to muster. Well, I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to do the best that I can. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of the motivation to, to be that good person so people will notice or like you or, or just to be whatever. That's not, it's not like that for us. We live in his strength. We live out these truths by 
his, these characteristics by his spirit. You understand? This is, this is, he has given this to us and we need to cultivate it. So it's a command. In other words, when he says, and this is so important, this is like kind of top heavy this morning. Most important things, I guess, in the front of the sermon, and then it's the outworking for the rest of the sermon. But the command is to let love be genuine. You need to let love be genuine. Why? Because now you know what genuine love is. You know what genuine love looks like because of Jesus Christ. Before Christ, you don't know what genuine, true love is because he defines love. He is love. And then we're to love with that love that he gives to us. Do you understand that? You already have this in you if you're a Christian, but we need to bring it out. We need to manifest it. That's the, that's the deal. That's the part for us. And that comes through faith in him and, 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 and reliance on him and not living according to our own feelings of the moment, but according to his truth all the time. Understand? That's why your love's genuine because you have, you have his genuine love in you. When he says to hate evil, hold fast to that which is good. We do that because now you know what evil is and you know what good is. He sets the standard. He defines it. We know what is good. We live in a relativistic age, a relativistic world. This is good. No, 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 no. You Christian, you know what is good. How do you know? He defines it. He tells us he is good. It flows from his nature and his character. Do you understand? We know what's evil because he tells us what is evil. It's in us already. Maybe before you're Christians, you could justify evil, you could turn good around, you could define it. You can't do that anymore because he's put that in you. You know what it is. When he says, I'll do one another, I'll do one another in showing honor. Why? Because you know what he has done for you. That's why. That's the motivation. I'm not just going to try to outdo you and honoring you by, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. No, but because I know what he's done for me and I need to love you in that way. Don't lose that fire, that passion when he says don't lose that zeal. We don't lose that fire and that passion because that is from God. You don't do that. We don't lose that fight. We don't go slothful or grow cold for too long because you know who gave it to you. You didn't build up that fire. You didn't build up that passion, that love for the Lord on your own. He put that love in your heart, that desire for him. We need to fan the flame. So just as I'm going through this, remember that. That's the foundation. That's the key. We we have these things in our hearts. This is who we are in Christ. We don't muster these up on our own. We don't try to come up with them. This, they're there. Now you need to, you need to use them, right? Like Paul's going to show you. He has the tools there. He's going to have everything there, but you're going to need to use those tools. That's what it is here. We have that foundation. This isn't something we have to get. It's not something we muster up. He's put this in our hearts. That's so important to understand, to know, because then we could live these out. Otherwise, you know, how can we live these out? How could we be expected to live them out? if we have to generate them. Now, all these things are very pithy, kind of one-liners. He's going, like I said, just boom, boom, boom. But they are deeply profound. They're not add-ons. They're essentials. Don't think just because he says, do this, do this, do this, do this, that he's just kind of making a laundry list. They're very essential to who we are in Christ because they mark out true Christians. You are not, and listen, man, if you don't get anything, you are not who you were before Christ. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we are equipped to live in this way. All right, we're going to consider just a few um, 
of these characteristics. First thing he says, beginning in verse 9, is that love, let your love be genuine. Number one, that is your disposition. That is our disposition as Christ. We are known to, to, to have genuine love. That's what marks us out as Christians. We know what love is because he's defined love. He's put his love in our heart and that love needs to be extended. That love needs to be manifested in this world. Now again, we're always fighting against it because of our sin nature, right? And we're not going to, you know, this, the, that, those old habits die hard in that way and this sin is always creeping at the door and we can be selfish and we can be self-centered in our love and conditional in our love. But but no, we, we know that's not who we are in Christ. So we need to cultivate a love that is very genuine in this way let it be what it is already that's genuine his love is genuine and so is yours if you love christ so let it be that why do you fight that why do we fight that we can answer that because of our sin but we ought not to literally that means when he says uh, let your love be genuine that word for genuine is without hypocrisy some of your um versions might even say that let love be without hypocrisy What's that mean? It just means to be honest. It means to be pure. It means that, that as Christians, it's not only love those who love you. That's what we tend to do, especially in this world. We love people um, who love us, or we want to love us in that way. It's not like that for Christians. We have to exhibit Christ's love to everybody all the time, not just because, especially to, to other Christians, but not just other Christians. you understand that? That's our disposition. That's a love that needs to be genuine and without hypocrisy. It doesn't say, I love you, but then turns around and says, oh, I really hate that person. I don't really love. No, there has to be a genuine love that he places in our heart for as he, as he has placed in our heart as Christians. That needs to be manifested in our lives. Our love isn't contingent on how others feel about you. Yeah, that's a big deal in the world. Well, if they love me, then I'll love them. But no, our Christian love is not contingent on that. We need to exhibit the, the love of Christ no matter what, no matter how people feel about us. Oh, they hate me. Well, I'm going to hate them. No, you can't hate them. You need to love them with the love of Christ because they need Jesus Christ. Somebody loved you when you were so very unlovable, right? Who was telling you the gospel of Christ. Oh, you didn't deserve that love that they were ex- exhibiting towards you. But they showed that. So we need to love in that way. It's not based on similarities. It's not based on ethnicity, personality. Oh, I love because he's my brother. I love because we have so much in common. You could have those things, but that's not the basis of our love. That's not genuine love per se. You simply love with the love that he's given you. You love with the love of Christ because he has loved you, because he put his love in your heart. That's why he says, let your love be genuine. Love is defined throughout Scripture. We know that, obviously. Um, when we think about it, we think of 1 Corinthians 13. I do want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And we are going to read. I'm not going to comment too much on it. But these are the characteristics. What I do want you to get and understand about this. Because so I said he defines love. He tells us what it looks like. What what The love that he puts in our heart needs to be manifested like. And so you know these. Every time you go to a wedding, I guess, people read this. For the most part, not every wedding, but mostly. Uh, not the first couple verses, but I'm going to start in verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, then I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, then I gain nothing. 
And then what he says, obviously we know these, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What I want you to get from this, you know the characteristics there. You understand that. But what I want you to see as Christians, when I say he's put this love in our heart, he says it like this, and this is the key for this, is that he doesn't say your love should be Right? Your love ought to be patient. Oh, come on. You should be patient. You, you should try real hard to be kind. You know, you, you should, you should, you should like try not to be envious. You know what I mean? That's not love. What he says is, it's not defined by should or even ought, but he says is. This is what love is. This is the love that I've put in your heart. So you are patient and you are kind. You are gracious in that way. You don't envy. Because love doesn't envy. That's what, that's what you need to cultivate. Because that's what it is. And that's what you have as a Christian. Do you understand this? This is a big deal. And there's no excuse to say, well, my life stinks and I'm not getting what I want. And it doesn't seem fair. No, this is what love is. It's not what it should be. But this is what love is. Right? He doesn't say, well, you shouldn't do this. He says, love does not do this. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. I know I'm rude and I shouldn't be that kind of... No, no, you're not. So don't be. Do you understand? That's what's going on here. That's what I want you to see. And that's the key. That's the love that he's put in our hearts. And this is the, the expectation and the manifestation of that, how we are to live. It's very profound. It sounds very simple, but it's very, very profound in that way. He instructs us regarding this love. What's your love as a Christian to look like? Right? In Matthew, I think we have Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We'll be talking about that more coming up in the next couple of weeks. But how often do you hear that in the world? See, this is the, this is that, that love of God that he puts in our hearts. That's the difference. That love that you have. And that's a love that needs to be manifested by you. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you give them that cold cup of water? Or do you hate them because they hate you? Do you want to see them go down because they need to go down? Or in your heart of hearts, do you know that you need to pray for for them because they need Christ just like you needed Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's the Christian love. When he says, let your love be genuine, that's what genuine love looks like. Now, we, we, we have our different definitions of it. We have, to, we have to understand his and live that out in our lives. This means that you're approachable. If you're a Christian, you should be the most approachable person in the world. Nobody should be afraid to come up to you and have a conversation with you. If you're not approachable, something's wrong with that genuineness of love. You need to be charitable and understanding and caring. You cannot be arrogant, intimidating, and hurtful. That's not who we are in Christ. See, that's why we need to cultivate this. That's why Paul says, let your love be genuine, because it is genuine, and you need to bring that out. Whether it's towards your own children or towards people that can't stand you, they need to know that your love is genuine. They do. I'm not saying you love exactly in the same way. Of course, we have a different love for our family and our kids. But they need to know, your kids, your family, your Christian ones, they need to know that your love is real and genuine and without hypocrisy. And on some level, on some level, the people that do not like you, 
the people that can't stand you, the, the transgender who thinks that you hate him, needs to know on some level that you care for him, that you love him, that you care deeply for his soul. And you do that. When people know that, when they see that in you, they might not agree with you, they might reject you, they might continue to hate you, but they're going to know and they're going to respect something about that. That they still love me. I'm not saying what I want and I can't stand them now. But they love me. Again, we can go through scriptures. There's tons of illustrations in this way. But I do just want you to think of Jesus with the woman at the well. Right? He went through Samaria. You know the story. He's not supposed to do that. Samaritans and, and Jews didn't mix well. People would walk around Samaria from go, going north to south or you know, south to north, whatever direction they were going. They would go around just to avoid these people. Jesus went right through. The woman at the well, she was there at noon. You know why? Because usually early in the morning or later in the evening, the women would gather and get the water. But if you were an outcast, you went when everybody was at home, having their lunch or doing their uh, um taking their, their rest in the afternoon. So she was out there in the middle of the afternoon by herself because she was a shameful woman because of the life that she lived. Jesus went to her, we see. And what I want you to take note of and understand that his love, his genuine love permeates that entire encounter, doesn't it? His love permeates that encounter. Even when he pointed out her sin, which led to her repentance, that love still came through, right? I don't have a husband. You lying woman. See, that's why you're here all alone, because you're a liar. I know that you're an adulteress and you have all those women, so don't even try to tell me. I have no husband. No. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. That stopped her, you see? That's the love. That's the love. So, let your love be genuine. Is your love genuine? Without hypocrisy? Oh, I love you, I love you, and then you go home and you gossip. Oh, I love you, I love you. Is it a mask that hides spiteful, arrogant, and proud hearts? Let your love be real, because it is. If you're in Christ. That's number one. Number two is... Uh, discernment. So the first one is uh, letting our love be real. That's what distinguishes us. And the second one is discernment. And almost he kind of expands just a little bit on on the idea of love. But here's what I want you to get: that we as Christians have been given discernment, and that there's no neutrality. Please put those two things in your mind from this one little verse. We said when he says abhor, abhor, or hate what is evil, love. What is good? Again, it sounds pithy. It's so, so, it's so deep. Again, we could do an entire sermon on that, just like any one of these, but we're not going to, we're not going to. I'm just going to give you the machine gun kind of approach, but I want you to, to grab onto this because here he's talking about discernment and that we're not neutral. We can't be neutral. All right. But right away, you say, well, you we just talked about being loving. Yeah, of course, we need to have a genuine love. But that love is shaped by God. And so we love what God loves and we hate what God hates. He's a, he's a standard for that, right? So people will say, oh, aren't we all about love? In this world, right now, what we're living in, do you understand what love, how love is being, uh, translated, what it looks like? What love means to so many people? Love in this day and age that we're living in right now in our context 
is full acceptance. Full acceptance, full affirmation, just as I am and as I'll always be. You just have, that's what love is. You just love me. It doesn't matter what I do and what, you know, if I'm sitting, whatever. It doesn't matter. You just love me and accept me. That's the world's definition of love. And hate is, hate's def, the world's definition of hate is if you don't agree with that. <laughs> you don't agree with loving me no matter what and accepting me and affirming me in that, right? Love never tells them that they're wrong. That's what love is defined as in this time that we're living. And it's hard because, you know, we're talking about a genuine kind of love, but a genuine love is the love that comes from God, and that defines us, and that drives us. And so we're going to love in that way, right? And we're going to love you enough to say, no, that's wrong, and you need the Lord. That's what real love is. It's not just accepting and saying, okay, you're wonderful, and I'm never going to say anything just so we have peace and you're going to be okay with yourself. We don't do that. In fact, every true believer loves what God loves and hates what God hates. I hope that's true of you. right? See, we know now. You know, because he's put it in you. You know what good is defined by him. You know what evil is defined by him. We know it. The world doesn't know that. The world's calling evil good, and it's calling good evil. One day this is good, the next day it's bad. One day this is bad, the next day it's good. I could give example after example on that, just in our in our culture that we're living in. It's flimsy, it's floppy, it's going back and forth all the time. It's chaotic. They have no real standard, but man. <laughs> Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. That means don't participate in it. And that's kind of easy for us as Christians. We can kind of avoid it. But you know what that also means? It means that you're not ambivalent about what's going on in this world and the evil that surrounds us. We can't be. It means that we need to call it out and expose it. For far too long as Christians, we have not done this. We have failed to do this. We've gone along to get along, and what good has that done us? Whether it's in our families, whether it's in our culture, whether it's our school boards, whether it's with our city council, whether it's in this world, we've just gone along to get along. And what has that done us? Oh, we're the nice little Christians that aren't going to cause any trouble. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to point out the evil. No, 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 no. That has to change. We're told in Ephesians 5.11, look what Paul says. He says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to participate in that. But then he goes on to say, instead expose them. And that's where we have failed so desperately. Like, friends, as Safer said years and years ago, we've loved, we just love our personal peace and affluence. That's what we've gotten caught up in as Christians, as he saw it in this world. And he's proven, once again, to be prophetic in that way, because that's what we've loved. We love our comfort. We love the way things are. As long as it's not bothering me, as long as I can go out of here, go home, watch the game, be okay, doesn't matter what's happening over there, whether it's down the street or across the world. I don't have, because it's not hurting me right now. Right? That's what Schaefer's saying when he talks about that personal peace. As long as I could do my thing, not knowing that the world is closing in, it's just a matter of time. And then the affluence. We like our things. We don't want to risk our things. We don't want to risk our lifestyle. We don't want to risk what we have. We don't want to risk our possessions by taking a stand because it might cost us too much. He was so right. And we have found ourselves doing that because we have not hated evil the way we need to hate evil and call it out. We have failed to do that for so long, whether it's on the micro level with your little family, whether it's on the macro level in this world. That has to stop. We need to. That's why he says you hate what is evil. When you hate something, 
it moves you to action, right? Whether it's positively or negatively. You know, if you hate somebody, you want to strangle them in a, in a negative way. If you hate a situation, you're going to go change that situation. It's a very strong word that he uses, and it's a move towards action. It is very emotional in that way. So he says, you hate what is evil. You abhor what is evil. Do you or do you tolerate it? Do you, do you, are you okay with it as long as it doesn't touch you? You compromise with it. We can't do that anymore as Christians. That's what he's saying here. You see why I could preach a whole sermon on this? I gotta move on though. He says, don't. But then on the other hand, he says, hold fast to that which is good. And I love that word when he says, hold fast. Those words, you know what that means? It means to cling to with all your might. It's like, it's like if you're on a rope over a cliff or something and you just have to hold on for life, you know? You're gonna cling to that. You're not gonna let go of it. You're gonna hold on so tightly, as tight as you can. Because if you lose your grip, you're gone. Hold fast to that which is good. Again, he defines what good is. We know what good is. Christian, we do, because he's put it in us. We have an understanding of that. And he's saying, don't let go of that. Hold fast. You know why you need to hold fast? Because you're under constant pressure to loosen your grip. You're under constant pressure to let go. You're under constant pressure just to compromise and to go along. And we cannot do that. Hold fast to that which is good. Be strong. Because there's going to be lots of opposition to you when you do that. Because it's God that defines good. We're living in a world that hates good because it hates God. Be strong. Let me give you an illustration. We can keep going on. Life is good. And I don't mean it like the little pithy saying that's out there. Life is good. No, life is good. Because God created life. And he said, it's very good. The end of his creation. He made us. Life is good because we're created in the image of God. This is one illustration, one category. You could do this for anything, any category. The imago Dei, the image of God. You're an image bearer of God. Therefore, life is good because he's a good God. So what's that mean? What is good? It's good to value life. It's good to show dignity. It's good to respect, show respect and to show honor. Those are good things. When it comes to life, it's worthy. It's good to protect it because it's good. Life is good. To promote and to preserve life. That's what we do. That's good because life is good. That's a good thing because God said it was because God, because it's God's image. So what do we do? We come up with righteous laws, just laws to protect, promote, preserve life. So everything from speed limits to laws against sex trafficking, what are they meant to do? They're meant to protect, promote, and preserve life. Why? Because life is good, because God is good, and you know what good is. That's why we're fighting so hard for abolishing abortion. Not playing little games, going this way and that way. Look, That's why we want equal protection, because life is good, because it's worthy. We protect, promote, preserve. Do you understand? It's not some high horse. It's not this, all of this. It's because of this. And you know what good is. But it's not just protecting life in that way, abolishing abortion, equal protection, yes. But it's also, when you're at a busy corner, street corner, and you see 
an elderly, I'm going to be nice, an elderly woman crossing busy traffic street. What are you going to do? You're going to go there and you're going to take her hand and you're going to take her because you love life, because it's good. See, from the greatest even to the least, an act like that shows the dignity of life, the goodness that we protect, we preserve, we promote life. When you take your hands, your, your little kid's hands, when you're at the crosswalk, why do you think you do that? Because you love them, of course, but you're protecting because life is good. God defines what's good. You know what good is. Cling to that. We need to cling to that. Because we're living in a culture with great pressure, great pressure to have you let go, to have you loosen your grip even a little bit. Right? There's great pressure around us, even as Christians. So if you want to think about the abortion front, we could talk about that. That's You know enough about that. We live in a culture that loves death. Right? From death metal music to all the death and destruction you see on top. Death is all around us. We live in a culture that primarily loves death. Not completely, but more and more, it's coming upon us. Again, from abortion, right? You say you love life, you love the woman, you don't love life, you don't love because you're letting that baby die. All the way to euthanasia. Wasn't that kind and compassionate? Just, just put them out of their misery. And more and more, the case is being made, and more and more people are saying, well, maybe, even Christians, well, maybe, no, no, no. Life is good. Life is good, and we need to care for, and we need to love, all the way till the Lord takes them. So from abortion to euthanasia, life is, and everything in between, we live it cheap. It's cheap. Life is cheap. Life is undervalued. No. We just tolerate the evil around us. We're, we're to hate it. Look at everything that's going. Look at the we call them senseless murders. People just can't just walk into a store and they're just blowing people away, for for what? Road rage. And it's just going to kill you. I don't like you anymore. I'm just going to kill you. You, you stepped into my yard. I'm just going to kill you. I'm not. This isn't hyperbole. We live in a culture that loves death, and that's evil. We know that. So what are we going to do? See what I mean? Now, you can do any category you want. This is just one. We need to call it out. Obviously, don't participate in the evil. But call it out. This is that. We need to take that stand as Christians because there is no neutrality. You can't serve two masters. We've tried to be neutral for too long. And look where it's gotten us. Look how much ground we've lost because we have failed to speak up. Because we've loved, like Francis Schaeffer said, our, our security. We've loved our safety, and as long as it's not our personal peace, as long as it's not affecting me directly, then that's okay. It's not okay because you know what good is and you know what evil is and you know we need to act. Okay. This is why we call it out. We promote the good, no neutrality. We have to come to grips with this fact. We've been silent too long. We need to speak. I got to move on. He goes and makes it more personal now. More covenantal, he says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, so now this is, um, we have a disposition of love. 
And now we have a dedication to one another. Okay? This is what it talks about. This is cultivating real heart-level fellowship among Christians, among believers. He's put that in our hearts. He has brought us together. He's taken us from every different place, every different background, every different kind of personality, ethnicity, all of that, and he's brought us together. He's given us that love in his heart. He's given us a heart for him. And he tells us to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another with this love. What's that mean for you? What's that mean for us? That we need to cultivate this. Because even our natural inclinations, we still have those things. Yeah, okay, she's a Christian, but, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. Wait a minute. She's a Christian just like you are. He's loved by Christ just like you're loved by Christ. You always have to remember that. So we need to cultivate that kind of heart, that deep, true concern, that caring for each other. There's a lot of depth here. It goes way beyond the surface. And Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, he says, don't do anything from selfish ambition, but with humility of mind, count others as more significant than yourself. That's so important to get. Count others more significant than yourself. It's not just a platitude. Oh, I'm just going to try to count others more than one. It is a, a genuine attitude that we have from Christ, that we really do. Count others is more important. That we really do think of others more than we think ourselves. We're really going to live in that way. Sacrificially, that's what he says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdoing by showing honor. That word outdoing means honoring or preferring one one another. Like I'm preferring you over myself. Listen, when he says outdo one another, don't get the idea that it's a competition, like some holy kind of one-upmanship. Well, he does good to me, so I'm going to do good to him. He no, it's not like that at all. It's not like that. It's about showing respect always to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about sincerity of heart that you really do love one another. It's about willing service for one another. It's not about reciprocation. It's not about, well, since you were nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to be nice to you because I'm going to be nice to you because I love you because you're a Christian. I don't care if you're not nice to me. That should be the attitude and the spirit that we have. I'm going to love you with the love that I have. I'm not going to do things with selfish motives and in like kind of sneaky ways. Well, I'm never going to invite you again because you never invited me. I'll invite you a hundred times even if you never invite me because I love you, right? And you're my brother in Christ and sister in Christ. That's the disposition. This isn't going above and beyond who we are in Christ. We're not doing anything special when we love each other, when we care for each other. We're just doing what's expected. He's put this in our hearts. Willingly, longing, lovingly to do this. But you see, we need to cultivate it because there's the flesh. And that and then all of something comes back. And there's always something that's coming in your mind. Yeah, that person, he might be a Christian, but no buts. It's a Christian. We got to get to that place, right? That's what we work on. That's what he's saying here, that you love one another with a brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor and respect. This isn't going above and beyond. It's who we are in Christ. You mean everything to Jesus Christ. And that means you mean everything to me. Right? That's it. Outdo. Love one another. Don't keep a record. Don't hold a grudge. Go. Disposition of love, discernment, understanding there's no neutrality, dedication towards one another, and one more, determined to pursue God. 
Again, all these could be a sermon, one sermon for each one. It says, verse 11, don't be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Determined to pursue God. Disposition of love, discernment, understanding there's no neutrality, dedication towards one another as we're truly connected to Christ, determined to pursue God, to be holy. That's our goal. He's put that in us. I hope you want to be a Christian. I hope you want to be knowledgeable and understanding and growing deeply and living that out. Yes, and being frustrated with trying to memorize Scripture because it's hard to do and, you know, you're forgetting more than you've learned and all of that. That's all part of this. It's all part of that pursuit of holiness, pursuing God in our lives, having that zeal that he's put in our heart. Before Christ, you didn't have a zeal to follow him. Once you became a Christian, what did you do? You wanted to learn. You wanted to grow. You wanted, you wanted, you, you, you're hungry. You're thirsty. You love him like that first love, right? Just like when you're courting somebody in, in that way, you just do everything for them because you want them to like you. But more than that, you love them, right? That's the thing. That's the idea here. Be consumed by the things of God. You long, it's when you long to be near Him in word and prayer, study, fellowship, being together. That's why we love each other. That's why we want to do these things. Even when it comes to our fellowship, there's that illustration. If you're by yourself, if you're just you and you, just me and God type of thing, or just me and a little couple other people in our little group here, that's not good. You need each other. And you've heard that illustration of a, a charcoal pit, right? If you have charcoal in the pit and, and you have one or two little coals over there, what's going to happen? You're going to be able to cook your hot dog? Are you going to be able to? No, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be raw. Your hamburger will never get done. But when you have those coals together and there's a fire burning and a fire glowing and a fire going, that's the idea. That's what's here. That's a zeal. That's abiding. Consumed by these things. So minimize the distractions in your life. Forget about the video games. There's no value in so much of what we do, the silliness that we partake in. I'm not saying we can't have times of entertainment, relaxing, but watch that because it takes away from our first love. And those little distractions could lead to big distractions. And a little time here. I'm just going to take an hour here and do my thing. That turns into three hours and five hours and two days. And then then before you know it, it's like, Lord, I don't even know you. I barely do. I miss you so much. See, we have to minimize distractions. Don't become complacent. Or overly discouraged, you know, as we're, because it's hard. It's hard as we're, as we're reading the word it's, and, and to understand. And, and it's hard to pray at times. Don't become discouraged. That's what Satan wants. You keep going. That's so why he says, don't lose that zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Don't be slothful, because once you begin to get slothful, it goes away. I'm just going to take time. And then you look back and say, man, I wasted so much time. I, I was wasting so much time. I could have been, you know, and I'm just doing my thing. Not that there aren't worthy pursuits and not that you can't have some entertainment, but he's saying be zeal, ze- zealous, not slothful, fervent in spirit, and you serve the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Stay in the Word. Stay on your knees. Be involved. Maintain that fellowship. Do good to those in the household of God. All right. If you're a Christian, because of the change that he's made in you, this is possible. It's not only possible, everything we talked about this one, it's expected. This is who you are. This is who we are in Christ. And when we're not this, there's something wrong with us. There's, there's connections off. We need to, this, these are the characteristics of who you are in Christ. It's called walking in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. It's called following in Jesus' footsteps. It's called living for 
Christ. Disposition of love, discernment, knowing good and evil, dedication towards one another, determination to pursue God.